0: Uh, hello, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger Tour podcast. Of course, we are nearing the end of the season, but don't worry. There's going to be some off-season content coming for you as well. But for now, we still have three challengers to review. We also have four to preview, and that are going to be happening in the last week of the season. Yeah, for the for the Challenger Tour, at the very least. And uh, I think I'll also uh, briefly talk about the Next Gen Finals groups. I think next week, when we have this little shorter episode, just briefly, uh, well, not briefly, but recapping the four events that are going to be happening, I think I will also include the Next Gen Finals and talk about what happened there. Um, The reasoning behind it is that all of these guys, besides Fields, we have been watching on the... Challenger Tour a lot of the time this year well Fields of course at the beginning of the season as well but also Fields was like a big um, breakthrough on the Challenger Tour sort of on the verge of the 2022-2023 season right so um, in the 2022 campaign I feel like especially me but Jakub as well I think I feel like we are both so excited by him that you know he has been a topic on the show even if he wasn't maybe making semi-finals so yeah, I, I, that's what I'm going to do, uh, but for now let's of course just get back to the events that happened and, and see um, yeah, what took place. Let's start with Valencia, which um, actually has a very big storyline here with the final between Fabio Fonini and Roberto Bautista Agut. So uh, you might think um, that's two former top ten players, and yes, that's true. That's literally like one of the first things that came to mind when I so who, well when I was watching the second semi between Fonini and Ramos Vignolas, and uh, actually it turns out, and we know that thanks to Jeff Sackman, the owner. Of tennis abstracts, obviously, um, I believe that most of you will be familiar with this site since, well, it's it's really a wonderful um, resource for um, all tennis-related stats. Anyway, uh, we know thanks to him that this is actually just the fifth challenger in his challenger final in history between two former top ten players. So um, quite a historic moment for sure, um, I was trying to look it up manually and I was able only able to find one, Montevideo 2006, where Guillermo Cañas beat Nicolas Lapenti. And, uh, well, the story there is that Kanyas basically had a doping ban in 2005, and of course then he came back, and even in 2007 he was in the Indian Wells final, he beat Federer in back-to-back events, so he was still really strong, but, you know, he was coming after a dope, back after a doping ban, and Lapenti, of course, not quite at the level that he was earlier in, like, 2000 and etc whereas the other three uh it turns out that they're from the 80s in sanremo 1981 corrado barazzutti beats Iliana then in 1981 in san benedetto we have the italian final between adriano panatta and corrado barazzutti again barazzutti and then in 82 uh, in sao paulo we had a final between Pecci and igueras so just five challenger finals with two players who were previously in the top 10 of course there would be more with like play probably yeah I mean I'm sure there would be more between with players who like both are going to be extremely good or something like that but after you know their uh, their stay at the top this was just the fifth one and it actually delivered I mean 100% um, for Nini throughout the week honestly and the last few weeks as a whole especially that Mets semi of course we've been seeing him play like this, this very determined focused version of himself. And uh, of course, that's pretty rare for Fabio Fognini. But this week, you actually felt like you can rely on him. Well, perhaps after the opening round against Bonadio. But after that, you could really feel like you could rely on him. Ramos Vignolas, he was absolutely fantastic against in the semis. And in the final, um, you know... Bautista Agut just sort of demands this constant excellence from you, right? I mean, he has this relentless precision, of course, the weight of shot, even on clay, where the maybe the flat forehand isn't as dangerous. He's still there. He's always going to be there and he's going to keep pushing you. And that's what he did to Fonini. And, you know, at first there were some cracks, certainly in Fabio's game, but was still a very good effort. And then Bautista Gut is serving for the match, 6-3-5-4 in the second set. Fonini saves the match point, beautiful backhand down the line. That shot was insane in the second set as a whole. And then there's this, like, I mean, of course, there's also the tiebreak in the second set when Fonini serves and saves another match point, this time with a forehand inside-in winner, and uh, Fonini gets back into the match. There's this decider which is kind of messy. Fonini has the early lead, then he has to survive a pretty tough spot, like a 15-30 on serve when trying to serve to stay in the match, and then he wins the tiebreak. So he beats Potista good, 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. Wonderful final over three hours. I don't know if quite one of my favorite matches of the season. This probably will be a topic of like an article or maybe a podcast, uh, maybe one of the off-season episodes. We'll see, but um, definitely up there as a, one of the finals that truly like delivered in terms of the names, the star quality. Obviously the fifth final between two former top 10 players ever. But at the same time also, yeah, the drama, the quality, the excitement, it was all there. So a fantastic way to like sort of finish off the season. For Bautista Agut, this is the last tournament of the season, but Fonini is also going to play in Maya, at least for now. He is scheduled to play there. And he now has a very real shot at making the Australian Open. Because he is at 107 in the ATP rankings, so we have no way of telling like which, you know, what sort of ranking will be enough. Will it be 100? Will it be 108, 10? But Fonini certainly in with a chance, especially if he can buck it up in Maya. Uh, what else we have to say about Fonini? Uh, seven Challenger titles now. Of course, the previous one was in 2010. So it's it's his first in 13 years. Before this year, he actually hadn't appeared in a Challenger in 11 years. Now he's back sort of playing Challengers very regularly in the last few months. Already had that final in Genoa against Thiago Sejbovild. And I also have to say that Fonini was always like regarded as one of these players who probably will not have it in them to keep grinding, right? Like when they fall off the ATP Tour, they're probably gone off the circuit as a whole. And I think him having such a beautiful family now, you know, with Panetta and, and their kid, I always thought that, yeah, okay, so Fonini will probably be gone by the time he drops off the main tour for sure. And no, he's actually playing, you know, much better in the last month or so he's really focused he's more determined than in the past and uh yeah it's it's good to see him like this and obviously the ball striking quality the exceptional shot making that he has without really moving his legs uh, without bending his knees uh, i think that's something that it's just gonna stay you know with him forever and if you watch fabio fornini playing an exhibition or something at 50 years old at 60 years old I think uh, glimpses of that are also going to be there anyway. So um, yeah, lovely to see him playing tennis like that and actually wanting you know, to get the job done, to get back into the top 100. Uh, it's very refreshing for sure. And Roberto bautista good before this year also hadn't played a challenger in a long time. In fact, in 10 years, he hadn't won a challenger in 11 years. And that will actually have to wait, of course. Because, uh, well, the Spaniard, uh, he came back to the Challenger Tour in Malaga when he was returning after a two-month injury in October. He lost to Billy Harris in the second round. But since then, he has managed to pick himself up. And he was really good, actually, for the most part this week. He beats Vavasori, Pellegrino, Morocania, CFCAF, all in straight sets. Maybe a little weaker path than Fonini, but still. And, yeah, he was in a great position to make the final, I mean, to to get the title. What went wrong? It's honestly very hard to say. He was serving for it. He had that one point where he was in control. You know, maybe if he followed it up a little bit more to the net or something. But again, like, that's not really his game, right? Uh, but yeah, he still had ridiculously precise ground strokes all week and also, you know, the way he just constructs the rally, sends the opponent moving from one corner to another. Of course, that's a beauty to watch as well. And yeah, he, along with Fonini, he definitely delivered one of the better finals of the season. So uh, good on him. And uh, then we oh oh and by the way he's not like fighting for any top one hundred or something he just decided to finish his season in Valencia um, not exactly you know sure what the decision making was there but um, I'm glad he did because he did give us quite a few great performances and also this uh, this stunning final and then the semi finalists in Valencia. We've got Albert Ramos-Vignolas, who was actually my pick for the title. So losing in the semis, can't be too, can't be too disappointed with that. Although I thought he was going to push Fonini a little bit more. And uh, Ramos-Vignolas is also fighting for the top 100. He is actually still in. And I think it should be enough. But he is still still in the draw in Maya, you know, to try to confirm it. He uh, basically the last few months has been playing quite a lot on the Challenger circuit. Um, we, we'll see if he actually ends the year as well without a challenger title, but he's had some very deep runs recently. The semis in Valencia here, semis in Bad Waltersdorf, semis in Lisbon. And um, I think earlier in the year, probably not so much. Yeah, probably just a couple of quarters to add to that. So he, he has been very solid. He has done enough to make the Australian Open, I think so. But, um, you know, it, it it's not the former sort of stardom, right? But... I think he's he's still done pretty well to uh, hang around because there was a point this year when we probably thought that he wasn't going to remain in the top 100. Uh, of course, the Gstad ATP 250 final massively helped. And then, yeah, just some solid challenger results to to back it up. And uh, when it comes to the other semi-finalist, that was Denis Efsev, who sort of looked like an outsider in this in this semi-final field, not necessarily in terms of his playing level, although maybe, but um, also because of like the star quality that was there, right? So we've got Fonini, Ramos, Vignolas, Bautista, Good, and Denis Efsev. But of course, this has been a very good season for Efsev. He probably has done enough to make the Australian Open qualifying by now. I, I believe that should be enough, this semi-final here. He started from the qualifying, beat Barranco Cosaño, Caruso, Taberner, and uh, then got a walkover from Martinez, and uh, defeated as well Martin Landaluce. Uh, they defeated Martin Landaluce as well, and lost to Bautista, good, honestly, a bit of a throwaway performance from him like after he was down a set and a break he kind of just tanked the the rest of the games uh, but yeah I mean at at the age of 30 to have that sort of a season and I think he will debut in a Grand Slam that will be huge for EFCAF obviously and um, there, there's been a few occasions you know this year when we were able to talk to him to talk about him a little bit more we also had an interview with him from, from Kozerki where he also made the semis and um, obviously the, the sort of quality of his tennis was never fully the problem it's like more the mental you know up and downness and potential you know fixing alerts as well that he's picked up along the way but again um, very good season at the age of 30 and i think he will be rewarded with that australian open Slam qualifying debut and uh, also, uh, before we talk to the, about the doubles, we need to mention Martin Landaluse, the 17-year-old U.S. Open champion of 2022. And this is quite interesting, because in the second round he, he played Daniel Rincon, the U.S. Open champion of 2021. This was actually their second meeting already, and when they've played for the first time, well, on the Pro Tour, because they know each other very well. They are both from Rafa Nadal Academy. And uh, when they played for the first time on the Pro Tour, it was just Landalusa's fifth professional match, and he got smacked at the beginning of the season on the Rafa Nadal Academy courts in the 25k. Uh, but uh, of course, Landalusa has been making significant progress throughout the year. He recently had that quarterfinal in Alicante, beating Maestrelli Caso, losing to Estienne in a very good match. Was this run as good as that one? Not really. But I loved how he played anyway. He beat Pablo Andújar. By the way, we have to mention that because this was Pablo Andújar's last professional match. He he finished his uh, career in Valencia with a loss to Andalucia. wasn't too competitive, but I always say that. Basically, if you if you have to finish off your career losing to a prospect from your own country. That's not um, like the, that's one of the better ways to go, I think. Of course, he, he would have liked to be more competitive than he was 6 3, 6 2 win for Landalusa, but still, the um, ball striking of the Spaniard was like so heavy and so clean all week. All week, I really like how he's been developing this year, and of course, this is like his first pro season really because in 2022 he only managed to pick up two appearances losing to hertz and paul tommy paul yes in an atp 250 in Hijong. so you know quite far above his level at the time so um yeah really excited for landalusa is going to bring to us in 2024 and i think this should be like a i don't know how much of a breakout season for him But I would love to see him making deep challenger runs at least a few times. And I think that's something that we can expect from him, right? Um, He should also have a lot of wildcards still to to, um, Spanish challengers. Because why not? I mean, he's still one of their biggest prospects. Actually, probably the biggest, right? Given that there is a bit of a gap after Alcaraz. Of course, I'm not counting Alcaraz because he has broken through already, (laughs) needless to say. And uh, yeah, that was Martin Landaluce's week as well. And uh, then in the doubles, we had Andréa Pellegrino and Andréa Vavasori, the duo of Andreas who both lost to Roberto Bautista Agut in the singles. They managed to get over that by winning the title. And they actually did it pretty confidently as well. They lost the set at first to Cervantes Vega-Hernández. But then they defeated the next three pairings without dropping one. And it was, you know, some class pairings like Mart- Martos gornes um, uh, Verbeek, or and prasanv I believe that this is their first challenger title, but this year they won the ATP 250 in Santiago. So, of course, they've already had a, a bigger title than this. Um, yeah. And the other Challenger 100 that we had this week was in Brasilia. And this was that Altitude hardcore event. And it was a bit wild. You know, we are in this part of the season where f- since 2021 we finished the year with some hardcore events in South America, which tends to bring out some very weird fields. Although this year we've ha- we've got Brasilia and Temuco. In 2021 it was just Rio de Janeiro, in 2022 it was Temuco. Now we have Brasilia-Temuco and it allowed some players to maybe schedule themselves a little differently. So I think the level on display in general was higher than I expected, Although, especially maybe at like the quarterfinal stage, there were a few wild results, which contributed to this event, maybe having a few unusual names in a challenger semi, especially in such a strong challenger semi as well, Um, as in, you know, a challenger 100. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the champion, who was Alejandro Tabilo, and this is his fifth challenger title, fourth this year. And yeah, what a ridiculous season, around uh, March maybe, he fell off to about 180 in the ATP rankings, and it didn't seem like he was going to return so quickly, Uh, but he actually did. And picking up four challenger challenger titles in a season, of course, is extremely impressive. Um, And also this is his first one on hardcourts. In the altitude-hard conditions of Brasilia, I think he was just pretty much unplayable on serve for the most part. And maybe it's his, you know, clay expertise that's also allowing him to control the ball a little bit better. But it's not like he's a poor hardcourter, right? I mean, he he had Challenger Finals in the past before, uh, on hardcourts before. Um, he had Lexington in 2021 and Guayaquil in 2021. And he also made the fourth round this year at Indian Wells. Which is this, like you know, clay-ish hardcore event, right? I mean, the sandpaper, if you wanna, if you wanna call it, the surface there. So um, also the um, the desert air. So it's actually uh, you know it, it, it makes sense, it fits. And Stabilo defeated um, Ruben Statum in the qual- in the qualifying, yeah, because this is important to mention, of course, that he started from the qualifying, despite being the third highest ranked player in the field in the main draw field once he joined it. Uh but the qualifying, you know, he he was of course a late late sign-up. And the qualifying didn't give him that much trouble because it was just one match against Rubin Statum because uh yeah, the draw wasn't full, so he got a bye. And then he beats Buse Alves Tomic. Tomić in a sensational match. Uh, Such a wild thriller, Bernie breaks in the third set with a 36-shot rally. Uh, Really tough to play against this week, Tomick, because um, this combination of his pushy ground strokes, you know, with the sort of technique that he has, and also the slice, yeah, it makes him really, um, actually, like, it really makes him uh, able to control the ball in these conditions, and a lot of players can't. But then Tabilo beats Fikovic and beats Roman Andres Buruchaga in the final, uh, surprise finalist. But yeah, Tabilo, you know, as a whole, he was the big favorite in all of his matches. It was just against Tomic, where it was really tough for him. He saved two match points in the first set tiebreak, both with aces, actually. But yeah, fantastic season, and he returns to the top 100, just in time to make the Australian Open main draw. So I think uh, definitely there there will be a few tennis fans, and myself included to an extent, who Alejandro Tabilo surprised this year with how efficiently he was able to return to the top, and um, yeah, all, um, maybe the golden swing in two thousand twenty-two is going to be in two thousand twenty-four is going to be where he shines again because in two thousand twenty-two, of course, he was very close to picking up a main true title. There, led Ramos Vignolas in the third set of Cordoba by two breaks. And uh, let's get to the surprise finalist that I mentioned. I mean, Roman Andres Buruchaga. So, the thing about Buruchaga is that, well, he has played some ITFs in the past on hardcourts, but generally speaking, you wouldn't expect much from him. I mean, he is a bit weaponless, right? And he plays this opening round against Hernan Kanasanova. He is down 1 6 3 5. He saves three match points and wins, but it's an awful match. I mean, the quality is just uh, dumpster fire, really. And somehow, it turns out that Buruchaga manages to learn from that and also faces maybe opponents that he found himself more comfortable against. Because against Casanova, Buruchaga kind of had to do a lot of the dictating and Casanova was just able to slice him to death and... Well, almost to death because, of course, Buruchaga <laughs> managed to recover. Uh, but yeah, maybe it was just it was just also a matter of that. And then when he faces Fonseca, who, by the way, I will have to mention a bit later and then also uh, Tristan Boyer and um, Santiago rodriguez Taverna, and even Tabilo to an extent, Buruchaka actually holds up much better because now he's the one sort of controlling the ball, making the opponents play, and he enjoys that. And I think his run was a bit like Renzo Olivo on on altitude, because Renzo Olivo is also a surprisingly good altitude player. And I think that's two things. Well, the fact that, yeah, they control the ball a lot better than others. And also they get three points on serve they usually wouldn't get, like they wouldn't even get a sniff at on clay. Uh, Burutaga throughout the week was actually even playing his plus one forehand pretty well. And um, yeah, I mean, insane run for him. Obviously, that's a lot of points coming his way. He's going to break the top 200. Before this week, he was probably already safe for the Australian Open. But right now, he's like extra, extra, extra safe. And then he, uh, of course, he loses to Tabilo in the final. But he was still doing pretty well. And... um, he almost managed to come back actually from in the second set tiebreak. He won the next three points from three six down, but then he misses a forehand at six all. Like this was actually one of the moments when that shot of his, you know, failed in the uh, in the whole week. But actually, his plus one forehand was pretty pretty dangerous, which I did not expect at all. Uh, you know, qualifying in Australia, I wonder how he's going to do there. I don't have high expectations, but uh, this altitude hard run was actually pretty cool, yeah. And then we also have uh, Juan Pablo Fikovic as the semi finalist, who beat Sakamoto, Haide, Tirante. That's a big one. I think anytime we have an altitude hardcore event or altitude clay court event, Tirante is one of the favorites. Uh, of course, Fikovic, Tirante, this was a match that already happened previously this year, in an altitude hardcourt event, in a quarterfinal as well, in Morelos, which Tirante won. Of course, Fikovic didn't manage to uh, win the title after beating uh, Tirante, so that's where the comparison ends, but still a good run, and of course Fikovic is one of these, um, well, theoretically clay court specialists, who actually in recent years has been trying to focus himself a lot around hardcourts. Sometimes I would say maybe even too much, but when it comes to altitude hardcourts, he definitely should be playing on them as well. I don't know if as as much as he can, but yeah, certainly he should be uh, competing on them a lot. Uh, earlier this year, he had the final in León and the quarterfinal in Morelos in this altitude hardcourt double that we have in that we had in Mexico. Now he makes the semi as well. And uh, Santiago Rodriguez Taverna, a bit of a surprise, I guess, but he's also among the better hard quarters in the field in my opinion uh, when it comes to you know all the clay specialists that we had there he beats Ribeiro, Moreno de Alboran that's a pretty big upset and Garin, I think that's maybe a slightly lesser upset but also a contender for sure and then he loses to Buruchaga, where he was injured in the second set but just like Every player this week besides Tabilo, he eventually falls to Buruchaga, who theoretically should not have um, you know, anything to say on Altitude Hard, but he does. And uh, when it comes to jo- uh, Joao Fonseca, who I mentioned I have to talk about, he beats Kovacevic. I don't think it was quite as impressive. Oh, by the way, Kovacevic was my pick for the title, so <laughs> in the opening round. I don't think it was quite as impressive of a win as when Fonseca beat Sejbovild in Florianopolis earlier this year. I think it was Florianopolis. One of the South American Chargers anyway. Yeah, Florianopolis. And uh, I don't think it was as good, but I was still amazed with the performance of this 17-year-old. Obviously, he is the US Open um, junior champion from this year. He actually made the quarters at all slums. I think of the current junior bunch, he's probably the biggest sort of talent, the guy that stands out the most. Recently, I sort of added blocks to that. And I think Bercheta also has a shot, but it, this is like more theoretical because he doesn't really have the results of the other guys, but just the playstyle and also, you know, the way he played against Taberner in Poznan, for example. Uh, but yeah, these are the three that I think I'm most excited about. I'm not counting guys like Landalusa to that because 2022, like I'm treating them as juniors 2022. Um, yeah, but when I'm thinking of juniors from 2023 who stood out, Fonseca blocks Bercheta, I think these are the ones not necessarily that had the best years in juniors although blocks and uh, fonseca of course won grand slams but the ones that seem to be like most pro ready uh, to me but we'll see uh, especially bergeta definitely has uh, ways to go but fonseca next year i am so excited to to see what he brings up he beats kovacevic his forehand in these altitude conditions just very accurate Despite you know the all the power on it and the little margin that he plays with, actually against Kovacevic he was able to really slam at Alex's um, slice and the backhand return. I know these things in Kovacevic's game have improved this year. Some important wins he's managed to got he's managed to get like this, for example the one against Ibing Wood at the beginning of the year, but. I just think that, that um, in this in these conditions, you know, altitude, it was so hard for Kova to control the ball of that wing. And Fonseca managed to capitalize on that really hard. And they just had a drop-off against um, Buruchaga. I mean, yeah, that wasn't a good performance at all. The accuracy on the forehand was gone. But of course that's fine. You know, E17. This is gonna happen this is fine. Um, Also, at some point, he was, like, not able to control his return at all. In the third set, I think he missed eight consecutive returns, which, against someone like Buruchaga, you know, it shouldn't really happen to you even in these sort of conditions. But again, this doesn't change my opinion on Fonseca whatsoever. Um, It's normal to have, you know, ups and downs. Just like recently we had blocks in the semis in Dunderit, the fact that he got crushed by Nakashima there, who cares, right? I mean, that's normal. Everyone has this, these performances uh, when they're coming up onto the tour. When it comes to the doubles, we had uh, Barrientos and Joranson winning the title over the molinero Matos in a very nice, you know, high-quality top seeds final. And uh, Barrientos and Joranson, I think they've only started playing together recently, but they actually seem to be trying to, you know, uh, be a full-time pairing of sorts. And um, yeah, that's probably their best run so far, although they had a semi final on the main tour in Los Cabos. So it's kind of hard to compare. And they also really pushed Gonzalez Rojova Slam there. So uh, yeah, the, the the doubles in Brasilia certainly very high quality with pairs like this and also, you know, even Adrozzi Duran or Arias Zeballos being uh, seeded but not in the top two. These are usually like the stalwarts of, of the Challenger circuit in South America. And uh that's all that also, by the way, could be one of the um things that the Brasilia Temuco Double brought up, right? That the doubles, um some doubles players had like a lot of incentive to actually get down to um South America at the end of the year. Anyway, the third event and the last event for this week when it comes to the recapping, it was in Yokohama, a challenger 75. And it was won by Yosuke Watanuki over Yuta Shimizu. Watanuki was the runner-up in Yokohama in 2024. Now he wins the title. He gets some very important points because he was dropping his, I think, Yokaichi uh, title points this week. No, actually, he was dropping his Kobe title points this week. And now he's dropping Yokaichi. So, you know, the, the 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 damage still hasn't been covered for. But he is back to, like, 101 in the in the live rankings. Still one more title to defend. We'll see how he handles himself in Yokaichi, because it's now Yokaichi. You know, the the events have been swapped out a little bit. I um, was surprised that he didn't play Kobe, because that that always has been a very, very good event for him. But, well, he's only playing Yokaichi in Yokohama. But anyway, he was my pick for the title. So I get a point this week for Yosuke Watanuki. Kind of obvious, right, that, that you gotta go Watanuki. Uh, I know he's like a little inconsistent, but he was the big favorite in all the matches that he played, maybe less so against uh, Mike Moe in the semis, but he still wins in um, this title. He loses a set to Moe, but wins the decider 6-love. He loses a set to Giovanni Fonio but wins the next two 6-6-1. So he wasn't really threatened. Shimizu at first, he was just destroying him, uh, Watanuki, but then... um, you know, it never really felt like he should be leading all that much because, after all, Shimizu is such a good counterpuncher and, like, is able to make it a little uncomfortable for the opponent. I think especially when Shimizu sort of stopped trying to ramp up the pace just as much as Watanuki, uh, which might be a, a bit of a trap of players like, yeah, like Yasuke. Uh, I think once Shimizu stopped doing that, it was actually a very tight, even final 7-6-6-4 six, 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 for Watanuki. So, yeah, he wins Yokohama and saves some of his points from 2022. Uh, Probably still needs a big run in Yokaichi to save his uh, Australian Open main draw, although it's, you know, we'll see. Uh, But, um, yeah, he he basically now has to defend that great Japanese swing of of the end of 2022. And uh, Yuta Shimizu, the uh, finalist, um, his third final of the season, which is very impressive. Puerto Vallarta, he lost to Benoit Paire. Um, Chicago, he lost to Alex Mikkelsen. And now he loses to um, Yosuke Watanuki in Yokohama. So I think clearly a very strong set of opponents. I think all of them um, certainly, you know, you can lose to and not be ashamed of. And Shimizu, he beat Jason Jung, Mark Polmans, Coleman Wong in a ridiculous thriller. Uh, I think Shimizu wasted a match point or two even maybe in the second set. Then he goes down in the third. He saves three match points himself. He wins in the third set tiebreak. It was three tiebreaks as a whole. And then he gets a walkover from Yasutaka Uchiyama. So yeah, gets to the final and actually has a very good showing against Watanuki. Um, good for him that he was able to stop the bleeding when he was like 0-3-0-40 down, and for a while Vatanuki, you know, everything was clicking for him. But of course, it's it's pretty hard to uh, keep playing like that with that sort of a hyper aggressive playstyle. And um, yeah, Yuta Shimizu is going to probably be in the uh, Australian Open qualies as well. I think this this import this this run could be really helpful for him in this regard. Let me look at precisely where he finds himself right now. Yeah, 212. So I think this should be enough. Um, Even if in the last week of the season, uh, or maybe, you know, in the last few... um, Because after, you know, of course, the Australian Open main draw cutoff is right after next week, but it's going to be three more weeks for the Australian Open qualifying cutoff. But even if there are some, like, ITF results coming in or something like that... I think Shimizu should still be fine for the Australian Open. And that's, of course, a cool reward for him for a great season. He was already there for the US Open. He actually played well. He beat Canon Kingsley and lost to Hugo Gaston in free, another free lair. He lost two tiebreaks there in sets two and three. So, um, yeah, I think for a guy who made three challenger finals this season, it would be very fitting to... Uh, ended in a grandstand qualifying ran- in the grandstand qualifying range as well. And the semifinalists, we had Michael Moe, who lost a uh, third, f- third set in a bagel, as I said, to Watanuki. I think he was a little tired by then because he had long matches against Blancano and Nardi, but that's still an improvement for him, um, you know, relating to um, his last two months, let's say. Michael Moe, I think we've touched on a few times that basically he was playing the tennis of his life. Then he has like the three months where he cannot play because of an injury. And it's a shame that it happened to him in that particular moment, right? It's a shame that it happens to him in a moment where he was at his strongest. Then he has one more injury in um, Saint-Tropez in September. So he he hasn't been too healthy. But I think if we get Michael Moe just playing a straight up full season... Next year, I think he has improved enough to a point where he should be part of the top 100 again. And uh, Yasutaka Uchiyama in the semis, uh, but it's a shame for him that he couldn't play it because that's one of his best runs in, uh, well, I don't want to say in years because he had the Seoul uh, semifinal this year as well, but of course not much else other than that uh, South Korean swing. So basically he beats Sugaya, Chung, um, Imamura, Hong and Tu to make the semis Hong and two of course the the impressive wins maybe uns Seong Chung as well in the qualifiers, but then lose uh, then has to pull out uh, uh, before the Shimizu match and it looks like the injury is pretty serious as well because he also pulled out of Yokaichi after. Uh, after that so uh, yeah it's a shame for him that he couldn't compete in what's a pretty rare semi-final for him he was actually the betting favorite as well against Shimizu Uh, for me like a 50-50 match but yeah I mean he certainly had his chances there that that match is certain and uh, yeah what else we have the doubles in Yokohama which were won by Filip Bergevi and Mick Welter and uh, they managed to take out Ho and Paragil Bergevi and Welcher earlier this year, they made finals in Prague and Como. So this is actually their first challenger title together. They had an ITF uh, doubles title in 2022. Um, Yeah, and I guess with that, we can talk about match and upset of the week. So when it comes to match of the week, as usual, I had a poll out on Twitter You're not going to be surprised that it was Fonini and Bautista Good dominating it. It's actually still 16 hours left until the end of the poll. And it looks like it might be like the record one in terms of the votes. But, you know, it's obvious. A lot of people watched Fonini, Bautista Good. There is this star factor included. Um, The other things that I had in the poll were Tabilo Tomić second place right now, Fonseca Kovacevic, third place, and Shimizu Wong, fourth place. As usual, I have to give a brief note to Shimizu Wong, which um, I think a lot of people in uh, my Twitter followers group, which I I have some Twitter followers from Asia, it's not that, but it's just that generally speaking, like uh, Asian challengers will be very hard to watch for Europeans. You know, for myself, it's it's really a nightmare to, to watch these cha- Japanese challengers. I mostly catch like three or four matches a week. Shimizu Wong was one of them. Of course, the final as well was one of them. For the final, I always you know set up an alarm clock. Whatever happens, and for like you know the most interesting matches throughout as well. Whereas, um, yeah, I feel like just not many people watched it, and that's why they didn't really get that experience which again was a total roller coaster from Coleman wong he has gotten us used to that and of course shimizu uh, was a big part of that as well i think my vote actually is going to be Tabilotomic. atomic i think it was such a ridiculous match bernie's so struggling physically i actually don't know if he would have had you know enough in the tank for the semis against vikovic but uh, i think the uh, third set was full with really ridiculous drama not in terms of you know some feuds between the players or something, but uh, just the crazy rallies that where Tomić was like trying to drag. Th- Tabilo into the these slices of his, and then uh barely really you know standing up after some of them, the uh, sensational point that Tabilo won at eight all and the first set tie break. I think I enjoyed it slightly more than fonini Bautista good, but of course Fonini Bautista good is an absolutely fine pick, and I did expect that the poll was gonna be you know totally dominated by that because that's simply the match that most people would would have watched and. And and yeah, the star quality, the fifth ever challenger final between two former top 10 players, that basically, you know, um, settles it as well. When it comes to the upset of the week, let me look at that. So, for example, we had... Ivanovski beating Bergs in Yokohama. I think given that Berks was flying over from Canada, that's fine. In Brasilia, we had Rodriguez Taverna over Garin. Again, I'm not too fond of that. I don't think it's such a huge upset. Fikovic Tirante, Altitude. I also don't buy it as much as the book is apparently dead. Uh, we also had um, in Valencia... In Valencia, there was, oh, Molecher over Molchan, that was also a huge score. But is it really that big an upset? Molecher has had such a fantastic season. So I think my thought is actually going to be for Rodriguez Taverna beating Moreno Dalboran. Yeah, I just I just thought that for Moreno Dalboran, you know, Brasilia and Temuco... Uh, this was such inspired scheduling from him and not the first time either because this is a guy who has been scheduling himself very smartly around the challenger circuit playing a lot of these sort of low-key uh you know weaker hardcore challengers like i don't know salinas right he's been super very good there and um yeah i just felt like this is genius for him to play this and altitude as well shouldn't be too much of a problem for him but I th- so I think I was actually more surprised with Rodriguez Taverna beating Moreno de Alboran than I was with Rodriguez Taverna beating Garin. And that's what I'm going with for my upset of the week. Santiago of Rodriguez Taverna over Nicolas Moreno de Alboran. And with that, we can arrive in the preview section. I think since, you know, this is a challenger show after all, even though we have a very good reason to talk about the next-gen finals, I think I'm going to leave them for later. Uh, but let's talk about um, first. Let's first talk about the, the draws that we have. So we've got Maya, the Challenger 100. We also have a Challenger 100 in Yokaichi, by the way, and two Challenger 75s to end the season in Mas Palomas and Temuco. So yeah, let's start with let's start with Maya. This is of course the indoor clay event in Portugal. Just the second indoor clay event of the season after Sekeshvehervar. And let's start with the top seed, who is Nuno Borges. Oh, and by the way, Luno, Luka Van Asch is the defending champ, but of course he's not defending it because he's playing the next-gen finals. Probably wouldn't be defending that anyway, but, but still. And Nuno Borges, yeah, the top seed uh, has to be mentioned anytime we have him here that Nuno Borges is from Maya, So this is his home event. He plays Mohamed Savat in the opening round. Then um, Michal Herz or Enrico Dalavalle. So I like the draw for Nuno for sure. Sebastian Fanslow, qualifier, qualifier or Vavasori, that's also pretty good for the quarters. Then we have Fabio Fonini, still fighting for that Australian Open, plays a qualifier and then Martino or Vessels. Calvin Emery, he's also done pretty well here in the past. I remember a quarterfinal, I think, and I'm not sure if that's actually all or not, but I certainly remember a year where it looked like, oh, maybe this is Emery's chance for a title or something like that. Yeah, it was just one appearance 2021, but I remember him playing very well. Then he uh, can play Genesi or Erocha and Rocha. Uh, then we've got Elias Emmer playing Trunjaliti, EFCF playing Vice, um, Benoit Per, third seed against Duarte Vale. Jaime Faria is also there. Uh, when it comes to portuguese wildcards of course bonadio plays francisco rocha i actually think that uh, bonadio was also in maya a few times but yeah. i'm not sure if he's done if he's done very well uh, then bonadio or rocha can play Jean Vier or a qualifier and then in the bottom section we have kowalik ramos vignolas quite a veteran battle as well and joao souza or philip christian gianu and um, yeah, let's look at the qualifying, but I think I know who I'm picking here anyway. You guys probably know as well. I mean, it seems pretty obvious <clears throat> from the qualifying. I don't think there are too many dangerous players. I mean, Vatutin, if he suddenly found some form, maybe. Uh, Damas was pretty disappointing against Genesi last week. Um, yeah, I mean, Friberg, I don't know if I like him on clay, but if if the indoor clay suits him, it's like pretty slow, but also pretty heavy. I don't know, we'll see, but um, yeah, the qualifying not too strong here compared to the main draw. So Fonini I'm not going for because he's going for back-to-back titles. I think he loses lose at some point, although he has a decent draw. He might lose to Emery if they play in the quarters, for example, or to Borges. Um, Ramos Vignolas, I'm not backing that pick again just because his draw is really hard. So you've got Kovalik, you've got Joao Souza in the second round. And as my winner pick in Maya, I am choosing Nuno Borges. Of course, I feel like last year, you know, I haven't checked that, but I feel like last year we definitely picked him with with Jakub, both both me and him. And Nuno um, Borges, the thing is that he lost to Maximian Neukrist, which was quite a shock last year in Maya. And maybe at some points showed that, you know, the indoor events, it could lead to some more pressure, but in general, he's been a very strong player whenever in Portugal, well, not whenever, but uh, yeah, he's had some really good runs in Portugal. He had the final in Maya in 2021. Uh, I don't think he's won a challenger in Portugal uh, yet, but he had a couple of finals. So yeah, I, I really like Nuno's chances as long as he's, like, really determined to play well here, which I think he will be, you know, at home. And also, just the draw that he has is is really nice. So, yeah, I think Nuno gets it this time. I I am pretty confident in that pick, actually. Let's go with Yokaiji next, another Challenger 100, the, the second one of the week, where we have Yosuke Watanuki as the defending champion and also as the top seed. As I said, Watanuki defending another title, so he is, you know, still in a fair bit of trouble. And Vatanoki plays Shimizu in the opening round, so we have a very quick rematch from Yokohama. Then Fonio or Ivanovski, there's Mark Polmans playing Ryo Noguchi, and then Ilker ol Ekarkui. Uh, Zisubergs, the fourth seed, plays Altuk Cheikbilek, and then Uchida or a qualifier. And then there's also Su playing a qualifier and then Hong or Jessica. Uh, we've got uh, Leandro Riedi uh, Riedi, uh, by the way I mean he's really in trouble I mean he needs a huge run here to be in Australian Open Qualities. and last week he blew a lead against Fonio it was like 4-0 in the tiebreak or something like that yeah and he plays lead 2 then Blancanore a qualifier Michael Mo third seed plays Renta Tokuda and then a qualifier um, one of two qualifiers we also have Zdenek Kolas playing Matis Erhardt and then a qualifier and there's also Yuri Rodionov the top seed, the second seed also fighting for the open for the Austrian open but recently uh, recently not that great and um against uh, Rei Sakamoto he's going to face him in the opening round and Colin Wong plays Naoki Nakagawa so uh, Rodionov Wong in the second round that would be a massive massive match let me see about the qualifying we've got August Holmgren. could be a threat I think Moria uh, playing Andres Martin either of these guys actually Ponweef I think, today saved eight match points against Kazuma Kawachi. which was pretty sick. Today, I'm saying today because I'm recording this on Sunday um, evening. And yeah, um, let me think about this. So Watanuki, of course, stands out again as like the potential pick. I just got a point on him in Yokohama. He is the defending champ. He needs the points. He is the top seed. Um, but, you know, back-to-back titles can be tricky. And I think... Yeah, I'm going to go with Zizou Berks, actually. Um, the thing with Berks is that he had, he just had a loss to Ivanovski, but I'm going to just decide to take it as, you know, he was in Canada, he wins the title, he flies over to Japan, he isn't fully recovered yet. And I think this time he's going to do much better. I don't hate his draw, I think it's pretty good. Uh, quarters against Hongor Su, that's not easy, but, you know, you got to beat these sort of players to win, that, win this title. Um, Mo may be an option again because, yeah, the draw he, he has is pretty good Tokuda and then a qualifier uh, quarters against like Ridi, or Blancano that's kind of tough but again, you gotta beat these sort of players to win this title Rodionov Wong second round that's awesome I really want to see that uh, that's going to be one of the matches that I set up an alarm clock for in Yokaichi so basically, I think I'm just going to go Zizu Bergs because, let's say, that Watanuki at some point loses because it's back-to-back weeks. But, uh, of course, Watanuki is a perfectly fine pick uh, as well. Uh, other than that, I don't know if there are actually other viable contenders. Maybe Mo. yeah. If someone is picking Mo, I can also understand that for sure. Um, and let's get to the last two. So the challenger 75s. We have Maspalomas. We have Temuko. Let's start with Mas Palomas, maybe Uh, come back to Europe for a moment. Dusan Lajovic, the defending champion last year, he did that. uh, He played this event in order to secure his top 100 finish. He did that. He won it. And right now, of course, he already has it, so he's not coming back to defend it. Pedro Martinez is the top seed, playing Nicolas David Ionel, then Carlos Lopez Montagut, or a qualifier. Brancaccio plays Diaz, and then Fatic, or a qualifier. We've got Misolid Squire. That's a pretty good one. Campania League against justino their second round rivals i'm pretty excited for this section um andreyev plays roca batalla that's another good round one actually and one of them will face sanchez hover or Jorda sanchez Jorda <laughs> sanchez sanchez hover that's actually pretty funny when i was in uh in Poznań this year they were both there and uh, a friend of mine lena was like um like she she she, she was uh, basically i was trying to tell her something about one of these players and she didn't even realize that they, there are two of these, like Jorda Sánchez, Sánchez-Hover. She just assumed that this was like the same guy or something. <laughs> and it was funny because we couldn't, um, you know, get on the same wavelength eventually. But but yeah, with time, I actually managed to convince her that no, Jorda Sánchez and Sánchez-Hover, these people exist. These are two different tennis players. Anyway, uh, Daniel Rincon plays Nicolas Sánchez-Izquierdo and then or orstoder then we also have Gakov playing Lavano. Gakov is the fourth seed. Then uh, one of them, uh, I mean, Gakov or Lavano will face Barroso Campos or a qualifier. Muleker Krutik, I love that one. And uh, one of them will face Alvarez Varona or a qualifier. Would love to see something from Alvarez Varona, but after Valencia, I'm not. Yeah, I don't think it will happen, really. Um, then also uh, Sumit Nagal playing Moro Canas. That's a super exciting round one. And they've actually just faced each other in Valencia. And it was a decent match, but won by Moro Canas in two sets. And then one of them can face a qualifier. Alvarez Varona lost to um, in the qualifying of Valencia to Damas and like barely won games. Uh, it was a very disappointing performance. But of course, his season was ruined by injuries. Uh, any dangerous players in the qualies Viljas Gaubas, maybe uh, Javier Barranco Costano. another very often injured player I would love to see something from is Forajtek, but he had to save like 5 match points against Mario Gonzalez Fernandez today, he will play Van Schalpoin tomorrow and Kilian Feldbausch as well, the Swiss junior that would be exciting if he managed to make it through that's a decent win for him against andrei Cipielev, I think so, um, yep when it comes to the winner picks um i came into Yokaichi knowing that i'm gonna pick bergs i came into maya knowing that i'm gonna pick borges oh by the way that's two b's right so i can make a theme huh. is there a b player here that i can pick because i don't really know what i'm going for uh, honestly but also campos it starts with b um Brancaccio starts with a B. Can I go Brancaccio, actually? (laughs) I mean, Brancaccio has been in pretty awful form, right? But this is an event he might win, I think. Um, Pedro Martinez, the top seed, it has to be said that last week he withdrew before playing EFCAF. Um... You know what? I mean, Brancaccio beat Caruso and lost to Gaston last week. I I think I like it, actually. I'm going to go with Brancaccio and hope that in Temuco I'm going to find another pick, which starts with a B. So, yeah, I'm I'm going with Brancaccio. When it comes to, like, the serious analysis of this draw, uh, I just think it's very even. You've got a lot of contenders. Martinez, if he's healthy. Brancaccio, even, yeah. Misolic has been kind of off, but he can always fire up, I think. Either Roca Batay or Andreev. Andreev had a good run here in uh, last year. Uh, you've also got Molekar Krutek. I think either of these guys could go deep. Morokanyas Nagal as well. Like, one of these guys winning the title. Why not? So, yeah, I just basically think there's no real favorite. And I can allow myself to go for Brancaccio, who I think is among the most dangerous players here. Um, maybe not the greatest of four when it comes to form, but... I think he is capable of that. So so yeah, it's it's not a hundred percent meme peak. let me let me say this. And then Temuco, the Challenger 75 in Chile. That was the event that finished South America in 2022, That's the event that finishes South, South America in 2023. So we've got uh, Guido Androzzi as the defending champ, and of course he's playing as well. Thomas Barrios-Vera, though, is the top seed. And Barrios-Vera still needs some work to finish in the top 100, to debut there. There was a point this year when it seemed like, you know, he's an absolute lock. Now, not anymore, let me say that. Uh, Actually, how far off will he be tomorrow? Um, Looks like around 34 points. So in a challenger 75, I think he needs the final. But to make the Austrian Open main draw, he might just need like a semi or a quarter. So basically, you know, it's an important week for him. And I like the draw that he has because he plays Diego Fernandez Flores and there's Matias Soto or a qualifier. Uh, Guido Androzzi playing a qualifier and then then Bigner or a qualifier. I think Androzzi could be really tough for Barrios Vera, but, you know, they have to make the quarters first. Hugo Delian, third seed, plays a qualifier on hardcourts, C-level. Eh, I don't know. Um, he can face clear Jr or um I mean sea level it's not sea level, but it's like three hundred meters or something like that. I don't know if we if we treat it like altitude. I honestly think from last year that it played pretty fast, but you know it's it's no Brasilia, let's say that it's no Brasilia, but it's not sea level yeah I mean I, I was wrong to say that and um Pedro Sakamoto plays Juan Pablo Ficovic and then Lama or Reista Silva. You've got uh, Rodriguez Taverna, sixth seed, playing Alves, then Kuzuhara or Puccinelli Dalmeida. Almeida. Alex Kovacevic, do I back him again? <laughs> I think I might. He plays Federico Agustin Gomez and then Statham or Villanueva. I think I might pick Kovacevic, but let me wait for a moment. Let me think. Oh, actually, I was supposed to pick a B player, right? Let's, let's get back to that later. Then uh, Gustavo Haide plays Juan Pablo Paz and then Vachero a qualifier. Tabilo, second seed, still playing. I'm actually kind of surprised because I think he's Australian Open and secured, but, well, we'll see. He plays a qualifier and then Descote or Aieni. um Anyone in the qualies, really? Busse, uh, maybe. Facundo Mena, I mean, he's usually good when on a, like a faster hard court, especially altitude. Again, I don't know if to count Temuco as altitude. It's not Brasilia. let's just say that. Uh Decamps maybe, maybe he gets some form back, we'll see. But yeah, not the strongest qualifying draw, to be honest. And uh who do I want to pick here? So Barrios Vera and Otsi, that's a potentially really strong quarter there. Either of these guys could be the pick. I don't know if I trust Barrius Vera to actually do the job after let's say the last Um three months haven't been amazing for him at all. I mean he's losing a lot in the opening rounds. Um so yeah I mean oh actually Barrios Vera starts with a B right yeah Beaknell also starts with a B <laughs> but I don't want to pick Barrios Vera I really don't believe that he's gonna do it. I don't know I mean he just hasn't been feeling me with feeding me with uh, too much confidence but honestly, yeah, let's go Barrios Vera. I mean, at this stage, I kind of have to, right? So I've got uh, Bergs in Yokai I've got Barrios Vera in Temuco. I've got um, Brancaccio in Maspalomas. And I also have, who else? Oh, Borges in Maya. Yeah, at this point, I have to, I think. Uh, if, I, if I have three out of four with a B and I have a chance for a serious peak with a B, I mean, someone who has a really good draw in the first two rounds also ha- should have a lot of determination this week yeah um uh, i have to do it um Barrios vera i hope jakub would be proud of me for <laughs> for this um themed peaks uh, for these themed peaks this week and yeah they all start with a b and maybe they will all win the titles who knows if i was picking seriously i would still go kovacevic i'm super stubborn and i would go kovacevic for the third week in a row i don't even care um I think in the Brasilia altitude, 1,000 meters, he was really easily confused. Whereas in Temuco, I trust him more. But we'll see. Uh, if it's really Kovacevic winning the title, I'm, I'm going to regret this. But if, if it's someone else than Kovacevic or Barrios Vera, I know it's fine. And yeah, and with that, we might arrive in the uh, next gen finals section. You know, I just wanted to briefly talk about the draw, talk about the group draw and uh, maybe some expectations for the event. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is uh, quite a huge one for me. You know, a lot of these players we are watching on the Challenger Tour on a regular basis. Uh, young players, you know, in general, it's something that I'm really invested in. Um, seeing how they uh, break through, seeing how they improve, seeing how they're fair on the main tour once, once they get there. And this is just a good event in order to, like, give the spotlight, right, to the to the youth to the stars, well, to the future stars of the game. I know some people have been complaining about the star quality of this one. Um, it's good that Fields is there. Although, then again, it kind of really depends on how the general public will treat this event, whether they will tune in or not. Uh, it would help if like Ben Shelton was here, but I totally get that he's not playing this, because I don't think it was worth it, really. Like, you know, he he has sort of separated himself. And and that's, I guess, the main problem for the event that we have four players who would theoretically be eligible, but they, well, either don't want to play in Shelton Musetti's case or uh, cannot because they played the Nito ATP finals, right? In Alcaraz and Rune. So, mm, as a whole, you know, I will still enjoy the event, all the innovations as well, you know, the different format. But I understand if it's not for everybody and like people might need some more time with these guys to actually get excited enough about them to tune into an event to watch them. But anyway, uh, let's just briefly talk about the draw. In the green group, we have Fils, Striker, Koboli, and Nardi. And of course, this is really tricky because we don't know the conditions. We have no clue what the chords like, courts will be like in Jeddah when this event was held in Milan. So, for all the editions so far, the, all the five editions, it was actually a very fast indoor hardcore. I heard that in Jeddah it's going to be pretty slow. Um, I don't know if I should let it influence my predictions like the source that I have for this is very accurate I know the person is there and you know has a good sense for that however um, as you know like chord speed there are as many people as opinions sometimes, you know, sometimes we even have players, you know, in a certain event who will come out and say, oh, this is so slow, I cannot play on it. And the other will say, this is too fast, I cannot play on it. So I'm taking this with a bit of a grain of salt and I'm not going to be including this in my thoughts. Uh, Fils, Striker, Koboli and Nardi, I think Koboli and Nardi definitely drew the short straw here. Uh, Fils and Striker are considered the main two favorites of this event. I think Fields, of course, is definitely the more more reliable one. Streaker, you know, it, it's uh, he's still a roller coaster. He's still so wild. He's still so mercurial. Last year, he actually dominated the group stage, but lost after that in the in the semifinals right away. Um, I think he 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 still should make the group, uh, make the make the semis here. I actually picked him to top the group over Fields when I was doing like some low key Twitter predictions. Uh, Just because I feel like, yeah, he has so much explosive potential and um, I just don't expect the gap between Fields and the rest of the Fields to be as huge for now, at least indoors, as it might seem to be. Although it also depends because, you know, in Antwerp, Fields was ridiculously good until the final. And then in Paris, of course, he has a disappointing performance against Altmaier. He says he's tired and just sort of wants more rest. Um, so, so Fils, I, I just sort of thought that maybe striker beats Fils when they play head to head and they both defeat Koboli and Nardi uh, if someone is gonna keep it competitive then Nardi Koboli we've had him recently on the show in Danderet and he made the semis there but he only really fared well against players with no serves right I mean he beat Bailey uh, sorry, and um, Albot and then he got crushed by Marterer I think against players with strong serve games He's still in really much like very much in trouble indoors and um, yeah I just don't really trust him to do well in this group so Koboli fourth Nardi third Fields second and streaker first is my guess uh, but generally speaking I would say that you know Fields, streaker to advance koboli Nardi to get eliminated if someone is going to be able to uh, eliminate I think actually streaker despite me picking him him as first in the group, Striker is probably the one who's more vulnerable to getting eliminated and then it would be Nardi joining him probably not Kopoli. And in the red group we've got Luka Von Asch, Alex Mikkelsen, Hamad Medjedovic, and Abdullah Shelbayh. And this one I think anything can happen. We've got the we've got the uh, regional wildcard for Abdullah Shelbayh. I think it's really cool that he's there. I don't know how much it will help. You know, there's this whole sort of Arabic identity, right, that we are seeing with on Jaber, for example, you know, how people bring up the stats of that she's, you know, the first Arabic player to do something, I don't know, to make a grand semi final and etc. Um, so I can see people in Jeddah maybe going to watch Abdullah Shelby, but at the same time, how big is the tennis community in Jeddah at all, you know, in general? I've got no clue about that. So um, I don't know how big the home factor is going to be. If the courts indeed are slow, then it should help him. But I still think Shellbach probably doesn't make it out of the group. I think he is significantly weaker than the other players in this event. But I I will sort of say that I hope and I think it is very possible that let's say he gets eliminated, but not with a 0-3 record. That's my guess for him. And when it comes to the other three, I don't have a clue. You know, Vanash he um, hasn't been doing too well on the main tour, for sure. But this is a level he should be more comfortable with. Uh, of course, he had a big challenger win indoors in Po earlier this year. So I think that this one he should be fine at. Mikkelsen, the problem is, well, it's not a problem for him, but like for us in terms of estimating his level. The thing is that he has only really been playing these US events, you know, showed up in Europe like once or twice. So it's kind of hard to rate him against these players like Vanash Medvedovic. Uh Yeah, I'm, I'm really having issues to sort of put him against them. And um, the, my assumption is that he's going to hold up fine, especially if he's serving like he has in Knoxville and uh, what was it that he played? Knoxville and uh, Champagne, right, where he went really deep um and yeah like that that's what I'm sort of basing this upon I think if he's gonna be serving like he was there I think he should hold up against these players and Majedovic probably the biggest threat in this group but also significantly more erratic than vanash even than Nicholson probably and I can just as easily see him not qualify from this as top the group uh in my Twitter predictions I actually went with Majedovic first by... Not to qualify, but with a 1-2 record. And Van Ash mikkelsen as this sort of like, yeah, number two, number three. My gut tells me Mikkelsen over Van Ash, but I know I tend to underestimate Luca, So that makes me actually want to sort of cover it, you know, in the other way. So like, actually go for Van Ash because I know that I generally underestimate him. So even if my gut tells me no <laughs> I actually feel like it should be a yes realistically speaking um, and yeah uh, these guys will start on Tuesday they will play until Saturday everyone plays on every day you know it's a different format than the other group stage events and of course it's the fast for um, tennis as well fast for tennis format where you get the tie break at free all and that makes for matches that should be even more close even more close on paper so yeah probably some wild results in there but if my scenario for the groups here held up i would have fields playing medjedovic in the semis and then striker playing one of mikkelsen or vanash and i would probably say that fields then plays mikkelsen or vanash in the final and and let's say fields you know ends the group at second and but wins the event. That would be my guess for this one. but, as I said, I mean, this is really guessing I don't have much of it, much of much confidence in this one. I'm pretty confident that Koboli shouldn't get out of the groups, and uh Shabaih probably not as well but but otherwise, it's really open to me. And uh yeah, let's see. I I'm really excited about the event. I don't know how much interest it will actually generate from like, you know, the general public, but I will definitely be hyping it up and, and talking about it on Twitter. And yeah, I mean since I just previewed it, we're also gonna review that in the next week's in next week's episode, which is planned just to cover the last four challenges of the season, which is Temuko, Maspalomas, Yokaichi and um Yeah. Maya. And I'm also going to talk about the next gen finals in there. So make sure to tune into that. Thank you for listening. And as I said earlier, during the off season, I'm still going to give you some content every Monday. It's just that, you know, it's probably going to be more like a review of the season type of stuff. Uh, We'll see about that. I actually haven't like fully decided yet. But uh, certainly it's going to be there. You know, the Challenger podcast is going to keep coming out every week as it has been since um, middle of January 2021. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys then. Uh, Bye.